Well, Ronnie Rains is one of the most gracious, loving, wonderful leaders, pastors, and friends, friend that I know, and I'm so grateful to God for him, and I tell him he's an answer to prayer, amen? Thank God for him and Angie and who they are and what they are. I'm, I may be his golfing buddy. I'm his golfing punching bag is what I am. <laughs> but I'm just glad, glad that we can get out together. God is so good. Take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 9. The conversion of Saul of Tarsus. We're the last day of the year, and the last day talks about you're going to leave things behind and you're going to go forward. And so I thought this was an appropriate message because we're, we're leaving, we're going to see Saul leave behind uh, his old life and then the, go forward to a new life. And the radical conversion is a picture of what every person experiences in salvation, whether it's a gradual salvation or an immediate salvation. Or they're all, all salvations are immediate, but, but uh, a striking salvation that has such contrast as Saul's of Tarsus did. You know, January is an interesting name. I checked things out yesterday that uh, on, you always check your uh, illustrations out on Wikipedia. Amen, that's what I do. I don't want to make any mistakes because if I do, you'll come and tell me about them the next week. I know, you're, you're a smart, educated congregation. All, all congregations are nowadays uh, knowing what's going on. They know what's going on. Uh, but most of the months of the year are, are from the Roman Latin language. Uh, we never get away from the Roman Empire. Antichrist is going to do a revived Roman Empire. We'll never get away from the Roman Empire. And all the, most all the months are named by August, Augustus Caesar, July, Julius Caesar, and so on. And January was named after one of the mythical characters called Janus. It's a name uh, that's still in our vocabulary, and some companies are named Janus. And uh, it was the god, the Roman god, that uh, was the god of war. And there's some interesting things about that. Uh, whenever the temple of Janus was opened, there meant there was a war somewhere in the world. I find it wonderful, and since it's the week after Christmas, I'll say this a little bit as well. During the life of Christ, the temple of Janus was never opened, which meant the only generation that we know about in any period of time in human history where there was no war on earth was when Jesus was on earth. Praise God. I like that. But Janus, uh, this mythical character, had a face in the front and a face in the back. In other words, no matter where he was, he could see both ways. That's where we are on December 31st. We're going into January, and we're facing both ways. We're looking both ways. There are some things I'd like to do over in 2023, but you just don't get any do-overs. All you get is repentance. You can repent, and I hope today we'll think about our conversion and then think what conversion means in terms of an ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, you have your Bibles, and we're going to read Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through verse 22. Please give attention to the Word of God. I won't make you stand, but sit up real good and take a deep breath. Amen? Listen and wake up. Take a nap this afternoon, but be awake right now. Then Saul, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, 
went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if any who were of the way, whether men or women, were found, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone round about him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Now here's the first proof. Jesus is really alive. This is a continuation of his resurrection. Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said unto him, Arise, go into the city, and it will be told you what you must do. And the men journeyed with him, stood speechless. This is about a four-day, five-day, if you rode horses from Jerusalem to Damascus in those days. They're just outside the city of Jerusalem, it seems like. Christ appears to him. Verse 7, the men who journeyed with him stood speechless. So they were witnesses. God always has witnesses, doesn't he? Hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground. When his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise, go to the street called Straight, inquire at the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said unto him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear his name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. Then Ananias went his way and entered into the house, laying his hands upon him. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately, immediately. This is an instantaneous conversion that you, from the inside out. Immediately. He preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is not this he who destroyed those who call on this name in Jerusalem and has come for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. Holy Father, open our hearts to the message that is in this wonderful true story of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. In Jesus' name, amen. If I were to ask you what's the most important event in terms of Christian and spiritual impact on the world in the last 2,000 years, what would your answer be? You might say the Protestant Reformation or the modern mission movement. But I think you know from the fact that we're preaching on the conversion of Saul of Tarsus that the most striking, important miracle of God in the last 2,000 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his ascension, and the subsequent immediate 50 days later coming of the Holy Spirit was the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. N nothing's more important, 
has happened since then. Nothing more important will happen till Jesus comes again. The conversion of Saul of Tarsus takes a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi, a young man who hates Jesus, who hates the gospel, and with a bolt of spiritual lightning, Jesus appears to him, and he is changed instantaneously. He has to learn to repent, and he has to learn to yield it all to the Lord and to realize he had been wrong about all these things. And then he wrote 14 of the 27 books of the New Testament, over half of the New Testament written by Saul of Tarsus. What could be more important than that? So I contend that the most significant world-changing event since the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the ascension to heaven and the coming of the Spirit is the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. The history of Western civilization, the entire world, including the church of Jesus Christ, was unalterably changed by the conversion of a first-century Orthodox Jew from, the present, from a city in present-day southern Turkey on the Mediterranean Sea, Saul of Tarsus. Now, the greatest miracle that will ever happen to you is when you're converted. If you have been saved, you have received the greatest miracle that could ever personally happen to you because 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ... He is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. In Acts 9, we see Saul of Tarsus, who was like a wild boar, breathing out threatenings, changed to a follower of Jesus Christ. So what is a conversion? Well, Webster Dictionary says, quote, it's a transformation, a turn to turn around, an experience which alters one's point of view. That certainly happened. But Unger's Bible Dictionary, who's a friend I look at every week, expands that definition and calls it the turning of a soul from sin to God. Therefore, we conclude that conversion is both a Godward and a manward experience encompassing the whole personality, involving repentance, faith, and all the blessings of God from the inner new life that has been given by Jesus Christ. Now, the new birth, being born again, and conversion are two sides of the same coin. The new birth is inward. The conversion experience is expressed outwardly. So he experienced both the new birth and a conversion experience. They're, both, they're synonyms that describe uh, different ways of looking at the same wonderful transforming experience. So if you've been converted, you have the new birth. If you've got the new birth, you've been converted. Let's think about that word conversion in, in Scripture. Jesus uh, told Nicodemus, you must be born again. But he also told the disciples, except you be converted and become his little children, you shall in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Jesus told Peter, when, when you are converted, strengthen your, the brethren. Now, most of our conversion experiences, I'm still in introduction here, are not like Saul of Tarsus. If you're raised in a Christian home, and thank God if you were, little by little by little, you have an awareness. Most of our experiences are like Mrs. Billy Graham, who said she couldn't name the exact time she was converted, but her conversion was like a sunrise. You may get up early and try to see the sunrise, and little by little by little the sun comes up, and you can't name the exact time the sun raised, but you know when the sun is up that the sun has raised. That's what most of our conversion experiences are like. Now, Paul's experience was a bolt of lightning. One Bible commentator writes, Saul of Tarsus, this convinced and bitter foe of Christianity, was suddenly transformed from a fierce inquisitor and relentless persecutor of Christianity in its 
to its most staunch, fearless, and tireless advocate and herald, unflagging in zeal and devotion, in spite of the most terrifying obstacles and appalling persecution for over 30 years until the last breath of his life. Thank God for your conversion and my conversion, and thank God for the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. Let's examine this scripture first of all. And if you have your notes, if you want to follow along and take notes, First, let's look at the man who was converted, verse 1. He was a privileged and a proud man. Now, Saul means great one. He was named after King Saul. There's some comparisons between King Saul and uh, Saul of Tarsus. I went to my Old Testament and wrote some of these comparisons briefly down. They had the same names, great one. Now, how would you like uh, every day your parents to wake you up and say, get up, great one, get up, great one. I kind of went to his head, I think. Same with King Saul. He's from a special nation, Israel. They were from a spared tribe. They both were from the tribe of Benjamin. If you read that sad book of Judges, you see the tribe of Benjamin got down to like 400 men because of a, of a civil war. You can read that sad story there in the book of Judges. And so for Saul to be of the tribe of Benjamin meant that almost all his uh, ancestors were wiped out, but he was spared. Both had a superior opinion of themselves. King Saul was shoulders, head and shoulders above everyone else. Saul mentally was head and shoulders above everybody else. No one could have written the book of Romans without a giant intellect. Thank God for the book of Romans and for the mind that uh, in, baptized by the Holy Spirit that wrote the book of Romans and all the books. Both had strong tempers. Saul would throw spears at people. Uh, King Saul, Saul of Tarsus, per persecuted the church. Both had a sham religion. King Saul uh, just wanted to uh, follow God for the honor of it. And uh, Saul of Tarsus, uh, his religion caused him to kill people. They were both satanically controlled. Saul the king ended up uh, at a witch's house the day before his death. Saul of Tarsus was on the same path. But praise God... He said this about his life, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Saul of Tarsus was the chief sinner. He was the number one sinner of all human history, and God saved him. He can save you and me. Thank God for that. Praise the Lord. And he said, I obtained mercy that in me first Christ Jesus might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should believe. So Paul's Saul's conversion was a pattern, uh, hypotupos, which means a big example. That's what the word pattern means literally in the original. It's a great big example of what we all experience in miniature because we were not quite like Saul. Everything in Saul was done in bold letters in big print, and his conversion was in bold letters in big print, and God did it in a great big way. But if we're saved by the still, small voice of God, whispering to you, some of you right now, the still, small voice of God is whispering in your ear and saying, this is the day, this is the day you need to be saved. Oh, it's the same conversion, but you're saved out of sin into the holiness of God. He was an angry man, he breathing out threats. He was a murderous man, he went to slaughter the Lord. He was a religious man, he went unto the high priest but he was a lost man. He was an enemy of the way. Then we see, secondly, the miracle that occurred, verse 
three and following. Now we see a miracle. And within about 10 or 15 years, his name is going to be changed to Paul. I love that change. My middle name is Paul. My mother's in heaven. I would, if I could talk to her before I was born, I would have said, name me Paul Roger, because I'm going to be a preacher. I, uh, but no, she named me Roger Paul. But the word Paul means little one. And on the first missionary journey, oh, it's a beautiful story where Luke joined in there and they go to Cyprus. And then they, uh, there's a conversion by a man named Sergius Paulus, uh, which was a Roman uh, officer. And right after that, from the conversion of Sergius Paulus, he's not called Saul anymore in the book of Acts. He's called Paul. And I always felt like, he said, you know what? I like that name. That man got converted. I'm changing my name to Paul. We don't have any explanation of why that happened or exactly when that happened, but that's just my spin on that. And so his name became Little One, Paul. Not Great One. He said, I'm not a great one. I'm a little one. And so a miracle occurred. The miracle was he didn't want to be great one anymore. He wanted to be the little one. So here's the miracle. Look at verse 3. A light shone from heaven. We see that a bright light shone. Now, Paul shared this testimony three times. You know, if God says something three times and records it three times in history, in the Bible, it must be important. Like if you go back and read the Old Testament, the destruction of the army of Sennacherib where 186,000 uh, Assyrian soldiers were killed by an angel in one night. That's in the scriptures three times. So God said, I want you to know that story. And he put the Saul of Tarsus conversion in it three times. It's in Acts 20, chapter 22 where he spoke to the Jews in Jerusalem. It's in Acts 26 where he spoke to King Agrippa. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said the most beautiful chapter in the Bible is Acts 26 where Saul, Paul, shared his conversion experience with the king of Syria, King Agrippa. What a wonderful thing. But each, in each story, he begins to explain a little more of what happened. He, he said, it was a light came upon me at noon, brighter than the sun. And each time he told it, he added another detail to help explain what happened. Now, that's a miracle. A light came. You know, light is a miracle. Genesis 1, 3, let there be light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. First John says, God is light. Uh, uh, the scripture talks about that we might be enlightened. You know, light is what we need. We need to know we're in darkness. America is in darkness. I grieve, I grieve and hurt for all the sexual dysphoria that young people are experiencing with all the transgender temptations from Satan and all the other things. How we need light that God can bless your life. He made us male and female. God made us with certain wonderful gifts. And parents need to encourage the maleness of boys and encourage the femaleness of girls. That's just one illustration. We need light. We need li the light of God's Word. And so we need light to tell us we're sinners. People don't want to admit they're sinners, do they? People don't want to admit that they're under the judgment of God. People don't want to think about hell. Well, I want to tell you something. Whether you think about it or believe it or not, there is a hell. There is a lake of fire. If there's no hell, why did Jesus die that agonizing death on the cross to save you from what? Nothing? He died to save you from hell and judgment. 
Oh, God, thank you for the blood of Jesus. Where does wisdom begin? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so we have to have light. Uh, I love to quote J. Vernon McGee. Uh, he's got these commentaries. If you're a Sunday school teacher, spend you a few dollars and get the five commentaries through the Bible radio, through the Bible com- commentary, T-H-R-U, best layman's or, any, or anybody's commentary you can have. He'll, he'll address every issue in the Bible, about five volumes J. Vernon McGee. Well, he was a pastor, uh, started in Nashville, by the way, ended up in California. He's in heaven now. He's on the radio still every day. He's been gone in heaven 30 years. He said once he was hunting. I love it's one of my favorite J. Vernon stories. And uh, he and a fellow were out hunting, and uh, all of a sudden a thunderstorm came. And the thunderstorm made them run into a, the side of a hill and they got kind of in a little cubby hole, little cave-like thing. It was all dark, but they didn't want to get their guns wet and they didn't know what was in there exactly. And they scooted back in there and they sat in there and it was raining, cats and dogs outside and uh, in the open, but they stood there, with, sat there with their guns and ready, going, trying to go back to hunt. And they decided to light a match and see what was in there. And they were in a little cave and lit the match, looked up there. And there were snakes crawling around and all kinds of squiggly things. And Jay Vernon said, you know what we did? We got out. Amen. <laughs> they didn't care about the rain. You need the light of the word of God to shine on your life and the light of the glory of Jesus Christ to see the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. And you'll get out and you'll run to the cross of Jesus. Praise the Lord. So that was a miracle. He ran. Jesus came to him, a light shone from heaven. Then the Lord spoke, and he said, Why are you persecuting me? Wow. Two things, and I could, I got to tell you, parenthesis here. I've always wanted to do, I won't do it, what W.A. Criswell did. You know, the pastor at first uh, Dallas, night, uh, December 31, 1959, he preached for four hours on New Year's Eve into the bring 1960 into the into the uh, world and there's a book called the scarlet thread in the bible i've always wanted to do that on new year's eve but i won't but anyway y'all be patient with me okay there's two things about that question why are you persecuting me first is the inexorable unbreakable connection between christ and the church he, wasn't, he hadn't seen Jesus, but Jesus said, you're persecuting me. My friends, the church is the body of Christ. The church is the beloved of Christ. The church is the brethren of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. With all our problems, we are God's people. We are God's church. And when you speak against the church, you're speaking against Christ. And if you're really saved, you're going to be active in church or God's going to discipline you one way or the other. The church is the bride of Christ. It's the body of Christ. The other thing is the love of God. Saul, Saul, I love you. I died for you. Not only that, I chose you before the foundation of the world and you hate me. Oh, let us turn to God and receive his love that's the Lord who spoke. Then love was shared. Saul, Saul. You know, when, if you love somebody, you might call their name out twice. You ever call your children's name twice? I think of, I went through the Bible and wrote down 
the name, the times that God did that. Mount Moriah, Jehovah Jireh, sacrifice of Jacob. Abraham, Abraham! God called him and the angel came and he gave him the substitute lamb for Jacob. Moses, Moses! Moses called at the burning bush. Jacob, Jacob! When God was telling him to go down to Egypt that you're going to be there 400 years, your people will. Samuel, Samuel! When God called Samuel. Simon, Simon! When Simon betrayed our Lord. Martha, Martha, that's my favorite. You know, I love to go to eat dinner with Martha, but Martha should have been in Sunday school and fixed dinner after she got home for Jesus. And then this one, Saul, Saul. That, that meant, I love you, Saul. I love you, Saul. Love was shared. I'm, you're mine, Saul. You're mine. Praise God for that, that God's done that for you and me. And then a life call was received, verse 6. Arise, and it will be shown you what you must do. Now we see, thirdly, the master who conquered, verse 6, as we come toward the close of the message. The master who conquered is Jesus Christ. It, it jumped off the page after reading it. You know, this is why we need to read the Bible and reread the Bible and reread the Bible and then when you finish that, reread it again. George Mueller, remember him, the great prayer warrior in the uh, times uh, back in the 1800s, early 1900s, who had the orphanages in Bristol, England. And he said, I never ask any man for any money. I only ask God to support these orphanages. And supported 2,000 children over the years. Great stories there. Read, read his biography. Uh, I could talk a long time about George Mueller and his prayer life, but someone asked Mueller once how many times he'd read the Bible. And he humbly said, well, I've read it about 200 times, but each time I read it, I learn something new and get new blessings from the Lord. Hallelujah. So God, we, we understand he's calling us to be Lord, the master who conquered. So I, I read through this passage many times, but finally, it jumped off my, the page how many times the word Lord is in this passage. Let's, let's see if we can uh, see these, beginning in verse 6 and following. Who are you, Lord? Verse 5, Lord, what will you have me to do? And on and on and on. Verse 10, here am I, Lord, Ananias. But the Lord said unto him, verse 15, seven times the word Lord is mentioned. So the master who conquered is, brings us to the fact that the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life is the greatest proof of salvation along with holiness of life. God calls you to be saved that he might be your Lord. You're saved by grace and he, he calls you to surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ. The master conquered Saul of Tarsus and he was changed. The Bible talks about salvation and uh, a lot in terms of believing on the Lord Jesus. Acts 16, 31. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's your Lord. You know, I don't think Jesus can be your Lord and you can look at an X-rated movie. I don't think Jesus is your Lord when you do that. I don't think Jesus is your Lord when you go take a drink in a bar. I don't believe that. I don't think Jesus is your Lord when you tell a dirty story or laugh at a dirty story. The beauty of holiness, holy. The first thing uh, John, uh, 
the Holy Spirit through John uh, uh, attacked was sin in 1 John when he said, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus Christ. His son cleanses us from all sin because God is light. Holiness and lordship. Make those, those are the two words you need to think about a lot as a Christian. Holiness means you're being, sanctification means you're being sanctified. You're growing into the likeness of Christ. The word sanctity means holiness. You're becoming more like Jesus. Holy, holy, holy. Growing in the Lord. The angels in heaven said, holy, holy, holy. In Isaiah in the 800 B.C., and you get to John in about 100 A.D., 900 years later, and they're still saying, holy, holy, holy. God is holy, and you're to seek holiness, and the only way you get holiness is surrender to his lordship. Are you surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ? S.M. Lockards was a great preacher. I've heard him preach in person two or three times. He's in heaven now. But he had a statement he would often give, and I love this statement. If you can remember it, you can write it down. If not, maybe it will stay in your brain. The hinges of human history turn upon the lives of those whose hearts are linked to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's true for you, whatever you do. The hinges of human history are hinged, are, are attached to the, those whose lives are attached to to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Then the message to the church. The two most important questions you will ever ask and answer were asked and answered by Paul, Saul. Let's look at those and we'll make that the last point. The message to the church. Uh, he comes to him and Saul meets Jesus and first he says, Who are you, Lord? Look at verse 5. Who are you Lord? Now that's the first great question. The second is verse 6. Lord, what will you have me to do? So who are you Lord? I heard Brother Ronnie preach last week. I always love the way Ronnie, every sermon, he'll get into a crescendo about the gospel. I love that. Amen? You know, he'll, he'll start talking about Jesus and the gospel and he'll get, just kind of get up into the heavenlies up there. He did that last week. I, I, I like to get into heavenlies about who is Jesus? He's the Son of God with power. He's the Son of Man without sin. I remember hearing Adrian Rogers give a quote. I hope I can remember it all. I just decided to quote it right now about Jesus. He's as much God as if he were not man at all. He's as much man as if he were not God at all. Not half God and half man. Not all God and no man, not all man and no God, but he's all God and all man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. That's who he is, and he's worthy of your worship. He died on the cross. He shed his blood for you. He was buried in the grave. He raised from the grave. He's seated at the Father's right hands. He receives your prayers. He's waiting to receive someone here today to trust Jesus as Savior. He's, as soon as the Father tells him he's coming back and he's not coming back to negotiate or count the electoral college votes, he's coming back to take over. Hallelujah. He's coming back. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, thy will be done. That's who he is. 
He's worthy of your worship. I can't wait to get to big church. You know, we have children's church. You know, we're in children's church today. We're going to go to big church. And we're going to go up there and we're going to worship Jesus. And he's going to walk out from the throne of God. And it says he, he came from the middle of the throne. What did that mean? That meant that he was God. And only God could come out of the middle of the throne. It's called, in the theological term, the Holy Trinity. As John Wesley said, if you try to explain the Trinity, you'll lose your mind. But if you deny the Trinity, you'll lose your soul. That's a pretty good quote. And so, who is Jesus? I hope you believe everything I just said about Jesus. Then what do you want me to do there in verse 6? Lord, what will you have me to do? Now, that's a different answer for every person in this room today. For some of you, it may be to go home and love your wife as Christ loved the church. And thank God for your wife. Go ahead. I want to hear some high-toned amens right there. <laughs> thank God for your wife. Thank God for your husband. If you're not married, thank God for that too. You know, go, go. <laughs> Wherever you are, thank God. And so praise God. Some of you need... It's the last day of the year. Come on, be baptized. I think we probably hang in there. The baptistry's still full, Bill. When our next next week, whenever. Get right with God today. It's your last chance. You know, there's only one time you can do something. That's right now. Amen. Try to do something tomorrow. Try to do something yesterday. John Wesley, to quote him again, said he he divided his life into five minute sections. And he made a decision never to waste five minutes. I'm not as good as John Wesley. I waste time a little bit. It's okay after you're retired to waste a little bit of time, okay? But I try to think about Jesus all during that time. But you only have this five minutes. We're going to sing an invitation in a minute. We're going to have two staff members standing here. Make your peace with God. Come and join the church. Do what you're supposed to do on this last Sunday of the new year. Others of you need to thank God for your job. Others of you need to stop a habit. Others of you have things you need to get rid of that's in your house. I don't know what God's will is for your life, but when you come to Jesus Christ, He wants all of you. Give it to Him today. Well, I'm going to close with just application bullets. Salvation and conversion are miracles of God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The work of the church is sharing the gospel, discipleship to believers, and missions. No man is outside the grace of God. Paul wasn't, Saul wasn't outside the grace of God. The world has changed one conversion at a time. We need to be witnessing to people. I like to carry around gospel tracts with me and given to people. Jude said, on some have compassion, making a difference. Others save with fire, with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. He that converts a sinner from the error of his ways shall save a soul from death and hide a multitude of sins. He's the Lord of glory and you owe him everything. He's Lord. The earth is the Lord's. Have you ever thought about how in our world today people are fighting over who owns what land? Think about that. Russia wants Ukraine. China wants Taiwan. The whole battle in the Middle East is over who controls Jerusalem. Yes. 
I want to remind us of a verse. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Amen? And the earth is whose? The Lord's. He's the Lord of glory. You owe him everything. And the call of God is on your life. There are no giftless Christians. If you're saved, you have a spiritual gift, sovereignly given by God. You have some place of service in his kingdom. And conversion always leads to a call from God. I'm going to close with a story by another great preacher I got to hear one time, E.V. Hill. I only heard him preach one time. He was a great pastor in Texas. Loved Brother Hill. Great man of God. And he told this story, and I didn't told it very often. I may have told it in this pulpit sometime 15, 18 years ago, but uh, some of you might or might not remember it. But it's a wonderful story, and it's appropriate here, and I close with it. Uh, Dr. Hill was... A, I was sat on. I was a young preacher, and I sat on the front row. I, loved, I wanted to soak it up every time someone would preach, and soaking up the Word of God. And he talked about said there was a young man in the days of horse and buggy, who, when he reached eighteen, he loved his mother. She was a Christian. She raised him right. He said, "Mother, I'm going to another town over here. Got a job. I'm leaving home." His mother came said, son, I love you. I've raised you in church. I've raised you to love the Lord. Son, make me a promise. When the church bells ring and it's time to go to church, every Sunday you'll be in church. Just make me that promise. He said, I promise, mother, I'll be in church. So he went over there, and he'd been there about a year. He got to know men, and they uh, became friends. And one Saturday they said, hey, we're going to, we're going to go over the hill over here. There's another town over here. they got different laws, and we can do whatever we want over there this, this Sunday. And meet us, meet us in the morning, Sunday morning, and we're going to all get on our horse. We're going to go over that hill. We're going to go to that other town. We're going to have a great time. He said, man, that sounds good. You know, peer pressure is pretty, pretty powerful. Right. Yeah. So he gathered with him, forgot really it was Sunday, and got on his horse, and just as he got halfway out of town he heard the church bells ring and he looked back and he saw the people going to church he saw his friends and he went on he got to the edge of town and he heard the church bells ring he looked back and he saw the people still going to church he saw his friends and didn't want to he didn't want to be a spoil sport and he went on with his friends got up to the top of that hill they talked about where over the hill was that town they could go do whatever they wanted to do the laws were different and he could barely hear the bell ring that one last time. And he looked back, and the doors were closing. And he looked at his friends going on over the hill, and he looked back at the church, and he looked at his friends, and he looked back to the church, and he turned around and headed back toward church. And his friend said, where are you going? He said, I'm going back while I can still hear the bells. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, that's the message of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. He didn't, get, he didn't just hear the bells. He got hit with the bells, praise God. But God doesn't do that but once in a two millennium like that. But if you can still hear the bells, come all the way back to Jesus today. Father, bless now this invitation. Bless uh, Bill and Richard as they stand here to receive any that wish to come forward for whatever decision you've laid on their heart. Help us always to be able to hear the bells of the Holy Spirit. Always come back to Jesus. 
Always come back to the cross. Always come back to the glory of God. Convert us, O God. Convert our churches to follow Jesus and full surrender to his lordship. Amen and amen.